But why some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why 35 years ago fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. Fifty-four years ago, JFK spoke those words as we engaged in a national undertaking as part of the Cold War to move into space and put a man on the moon. Today, absent those conflicts, in a world where a new photo or dating app becomes a billion-dollar effort, it's hard to think in terms of such massive global and scientific undertakings. Yet one man does, be it electric cars, solar-powering the nation, or going to Mars— Elon Musk thinks differently than everyone else. Nonetheless, he wants us all to join him in that endeavor. And certainly front and center in that endeavor these days is his vision of going to Mars. The subject of Mars is a major undertaking on the part of National Geographic in its November issue. It's part of a global event series produced in association with Ron Howard and Brian Grazer. And the current issue has a cover story by our guest, Washington Post reporter Joel Achenbach. Joel Achenbach has been a staff writer for the Washington Post since 1990. For many years, he wrote the syndicated column, Why Things Are. He's the author of numerous books, and it is my pleasure to welcome him back here to the program to talk about his cover story in National Geographic, Elon Musk Wants to Go to Mars. Joel Achenbach, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Jeff, thanks for having me. Boy, that, that speech by Kennedy, it's still, you know, kind of gives you chills. It's, it's so awesome and visionary and powerful. And what it reminds you of, though, of, is of a time in which doing something like going to the moon or going to Mars was, was a huge national undertaking, not the vision of, of one guy. Right, and... Of course, the context was really different right. then. You had the Cold War going on. He talked about you know, winning a race. We're not really in a race to Mars with anyone right now. The, uh, the Chinese talk about going to the moon at some point, but they don't seem to be in a rush. If we did go to Mars, it would likely be part of an international collaboration, but it's hard to see that it has a big geopolitical uh, motive behind it. You know, there's, there is that question, you know, why would we do it? Now, Elon uh, Musk, ha- his answer is we, we have to do it because uh, otherwise at some point we could go extinct as a species. Right now we, we have a single point failure of facing us here on Earth if something goes catastrophically awry on this planet. And that's, that's a logical argument, though, uh, I don't think that's the the most persuasive reason to go. I think we would go because it would be really cool to go. It would be a great place to do science. And it, it uh, as 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 John F. Kennedy said, you know, it would be it would be hard and would organize our, you know, our the best of our abilities to do something difficult that would have 
probably a lot of spin-off effects and uh, and new technologies and we'd it's kind of the human spirit to want to go but i do i do think the why question is it looms bigger with mars than it did with with the moon just because the the you know we were we really were in this technological contest with the Soviet Union back in the 1960s, and there's no exact analog with that today. It's interesting, though, because in another part of that speech, and there's a whole section that Kennedy talks about it, as as mankind as a seafaring people, and that, that exploration is kind of in our DNA, and that that's what we have to do, both culturally and scientifically. Yeah, and that, and that's, that has been... If you, if you go back and look at, for example, the Mars Society, which is this group that formed in the late 1990s, um, uh, led by Robert Zubrin, they've talked a lot about, you know, societies need to explore and do new things and go new places if they want to survive. That if you, if you, you know, curl up in a shell, it's not a great long-term survival strategy. And so I, and I do think that human beings are explorers. We, we, we seek novelty. We, we, we look at, we look for, you know, the frontier, the new territory. This is a particularly American kind of mentality, the, you know, the frontier mindset, you know, you can insert your Frederick Jackson Turner frontier <laughs> hypothesis at this point, you know, I, you, you know, I, I, you know, I, um, I do think that uh, if you want to get argumentative about it, you could say, well, let's explore the oceans before we try to set up a colony on Mars. Let's, uh, there's a lot of things that we have not done in, that are more you know, sort of close to home. I, I think there's a lot of romantic, romanticization, a word I struggle to say, about Mars and space travel in general. It's not quite like Buck Rogers. It's not as, um, as comfortable and and uh, nifty as it is on Star Trek and so on, it, it is a, I mean, any mission to Mars is going to be a challenge on all, for a whole number of reasons. And this article I've written in National Geographic lays that out. I, you know, I try not to be a complete wet blanket about it and, and, and a curmudgeon, but I, I think that if you want to be truthful and do a real truth squatting of this whole topic, you have to say that this is not just rocket science. Getting people to Mars alive and landing them in one piece and not creating a crater is a huge technological challenge, and it's a psychological challenge for the crew because uh, you're going to be very likely in a confined zero-gravity environment for many months on that trip there, and you're not going to be able to see the Earth uh, it's gonna that, that that no one's ever done that before, you know. We've never been. We've always, you know, when when Scott Kelly went up to the space station, he that was hard to be up there for almost a year. It was really difficult uh, for him. He had to find ways to keep himself motivated. And all the astronauts talk about how they look at the Earth. They they go to the window. They they identify places they know. We have a real resonance with our own home planet. So. To, to, you want to pick your crew really carefully so you don't have a freakout on the way to Mars. The choice, though, it seems to me, in terms of fascination with Mars, and this is what, what makes Musk, I guess, so interesting, is that one could become a proselytizer for making the effort to go to Mars and trying to incorporate that into our political dialogue and our economic dialogue and really sort of talk about all the cultural reasons, some of which we've touched on, to do this. The other side of the coin for somebody like Musk is to say, no, 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 I'm just going to do it. Yeah. 
so so that's a, that's the marvelous thing about being in the private sector is that Musk doesn't have to get congressional approval. He can just say, I'm going to do it. Now, I don't think he has enough money to do it on his own. Uh, I think going to Mars is a $100 billion proposition, and even even Elon Musk doesn't have that much money. I, but there there is an interesting mission coming up. They call it the Red Dragon mission. They're going to send a, um, an uncrewed vehicle to the surface of Mars, SpaceX is, with NASA technical, uh, technical assistance. So NASA meaning the taxpayers, will not put any cash directly into that, that mission, but will uh, provide navigation uh, 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 help with the big satellite dishes in there in California and in, mm-hmm. and in Spain and Australia. They, the, um, that is a mission that, that Elon Musk essentially can approve himself and say, I'm going to do this. And they'll try to land a, a heavy payload probably several metric tons at least, on the surface of Mars, which is the heaviest thing anyone, anyone has ever landed on Mars. And if that goes successfully, they can demonstrate that they have the technology for a Mars landing with it with a, a heavy payload, which, because that, it's, it's hard to land on Mars for, because the atmosphere is so thin and you can't use a big parachute. It just doesn't, doesn't work. Uh, so you have to have... A, a technology that that works there, and they'll probably use supersonic retropropulsion, which sounds nifty, but <laughs> has never been demonstrated quite in real life uh, at that scale. So we'll we'll see if it works. But uh, but yeah, so Elon he can do certain things just on his own. Although I think he would be the first to say any major mission to Mars will probably be a collaboration with the public sector and maybe other international partners. Is that one of his goals, to be a catalyst, to take this far enough so that it does capture the national or the international imagination and others will then participate? He, I, I think he starts with the end in mind, which is you want to have a self-sustaining civilization on Mars, a self-sustaining colony. And he thinks that's a million people that has a... Uh, the ability to create its own resources and to, to function fully independently of the earth to get that to that point, you need to send a lot of people and a tremendous amount of cargo there. So that's why he has had his engineers design these really huge spaceships, at least on paper, they're, you know, spaceships can carry a hundred people, really large rockets. And his thought is that you would send thousands of these to Mars on a regular basis. Then it gets a little tricky because he envisions this as a commercial enterprise in which people would buy tickets to move to Mars. I don't know how many people want to move to Mars. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't want to live on Mars. I, I'm, I'm perfectly happy living in, on the surface of the, of the Earth. And uh, but there may be people who say, hey, it'd be a great adventure. I'd like to go. We know there are people who want to go because they signed up for this Mars One program, which was uh, sketchy at best, and who were willing to go one way to Mars. They say, hey, yeah, we'll, we'll go live the rest of our life on Mars. So people like the idea of the adventure. I think if you explain to them there's no air there, it's really cold, you know, there's no life there, it's, it's, uh, the radiation environment is really harsh. I think that some people might have second thoughts but so but 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 Elon Musk wants to 
essentially sell tickets to Mars. And then, and then, then you get into an area where I'm not sure that pencils out. I'm not sure. I, be, I think there's that many people who'd want to pay. And if they were, there were lots of people who wanted to pay, is that really how you would select a Mars colony with just, you know, uh, you know, whoever can afford the ticket. I, I think that it gets into kind of a weird gated community concept. Right. So, uh, you know, I mean, I'm raising a bunch of issues here all at once. And maybe if, you know, someone from, SpaceX wanted to jump in and give me the reason why it all makes sense. Uh, that, that'd be interesting. But I, I, there's a lot of questions still about this. But let me say this real quick, is that the, the idea of going there and landing on Mars uh, and coming home after maybe a year on the surface, there's no single reason you could not do that with essentially existing technologies, including chemical rockets. You don't have to invent warp drive. You don't, you don't have to invent you know, nuclear uh, fusion rockets or anything like that. You could do it with chemical rockets, and that, that, that's what SpaceX wants to do. What got Musk started on this? What, what really drove this fascination, not just with going to Mars, but with colonizing Mars? So uh, that's a great question. I, I think that he... As, as a big picture person, he looks at the whole species, and, it, and he has been worried, for example, about artificial intelligence. He's, fun, he's funded research into how to make artificial intelligence safer, because I think that he is among those who fears that the technology could, could essentially um, run away from us, and you could end up with a um, with artificial intelligence that is not benign in some fashion, uh, and you can insert your, you know, imagine the Matrix or the any number of science fiction movies. And so he he's worried about that, and I think he's he has thought about these long term issues of human destiny. And in, in his mind, uh, if you if you care about human beings and you like human beings, uh, which m- most of us do, I certainly do, you'd want to figure out well how can we survive long term at the same time he's done he's created these electric cars with tesla with his company solar city he's making solar panels more uh attractive to to buy and and now with spacex he's trying to make space colonization realistic so he's he is putting his money and his energy and his engineering skills toward a vision that has the common theme of human survival, including sustainable uh, survival on Earth. How does the government, specifically NASA, and, and even various government agencies that deal with this pol- these policy areas, how do they view what he's doing? So NASA has a Journey to Mars program, which is really kind of a hashtag more than a real Mars program. It's a, it's a brand, uh, it's a branding of lots of different ventures that NASA is doing. One of the things that NASA has done is they've created a commercial crew program and they've given out contracts to, uh, to SpaceX, Elon's company, and to Boeing for a new uh, set of, of capsules and rockets that will take people to the space station in the near term. In this commercial program, it's, it's sort of a different way of doing a contract. It's more like buying a ticket to space rather than owning all the hardware um, yourself. If you're NASA, you don't own SpaceX's rockets and capsules. You, you pay SpaceX to take you to the space station. So um, that contract, the contracts that NASA has with SpaceX have been really important to SpaceX's survival. The company, uh, Elon, was at, at a really... 
a critical point in late 2008 and was on the verge of of, uh, of going bankrupt when NASA gave him this commercial crew contract, which was a really big deal. Uh, I'm not sure. It might have been a commercial a cargo contract, excuse me, in 2008. So in any case, uh, the, so NASA and SpaceX work very closely together, just as NASA does with Boeing and Lockheed and, and these other uh, aerospace companies. And But the NASA vision of Mars is much more incremental and slower, and it's designed to be a sustainable sequence of missions rather than let's go right now. I, I talked so in this article um, in National Geographic, I quote Bill Gerstenmaier, who is the top official at NASA for human spaceflight, and he says, he told me, you know, maybe the Apollo model of going to the moon was not the best way to do it because we went up there, we landed on the moon six times, 12 men walked on the moon between 1969 and 1972, and then it was over. And, and, and they dismantled everything, and all the workers who put that stuff together either left the business or went off to some other venture, and, and it was over. We have not been back beyond low-Earth orbit. I say we, the human species, has not left low-Earth orbit since 1972. And so Gerson point is, let's go to Mars and do it sustainably in a sequence of events that builds, you know, each mission builds on the, on the previous one and, and, and not make it a stunt. And does Musk buy into that idea conceptually? Um, I think, no, I, I think that's a, Musk has a different philosophy. And he would say, no, that you've got, you've, we should go now, uh, that, um, that I think a lot of the, the, the people who are in that camp, not just Musk would say, that um, NASA is too cautious, that NASA doesn't want to take on the risks, that uh, you need to have a private sector, commercial, um, a, a really a capitalist model for doing this if you want to do it over time. So it's not just a government program. It's a, it's a, it's a, a, really a completely different vision. At the same time, I think that the people at SpaceX know have the same notions as, as NASA about they know what the challenges are. They're more optimistic that they can meet them more quickly. And if you do go privately, purely privately, in theory, you can accept a lot more risk. It, once you leave the Earth and start going out into space, you do run into some issues with uh, international treaties. Like, for example, there's a planetary protection treaty that the U.S. is signatory to, and SpaceX is part of, is a United States company, and you can't just go land on Mars willy-nilly on your own volition because uh, all these countries have agreed that planetary protection is, is, a, is a significant issue. What that means is there could be life on Mars. You wouldn't want to bring Earth life there and contaminate it. At the same time, you'd have to be aware that you could have Martian life, that, which could potentially be toxic to human beings, and you have to uh, have some protection against that. So you don't bring Martian microbes back to the Earth. You know, that's the old Andromeda strain uh, concern. And so that, that's something that, that even SpaceX, in its own private capacity, can't just ignore that, and that's why when they talked about doing this Red Dragon mission, they said, we will abide by uh, the U.S. government's planetary protection um, procedures and policies. I mean, they're, they're essentially saying, we understand that we, we, we can't just go rogue on this.
even to the extent that this is something that Musk wants to control and do on his own, a lot of that theorizing assumes no disasters along the way. And certainly SpaceX, as we've seen, is not prone to to having a perfect record. So that if there are efforts, and if some of those efforts end in disaster or loss of human life anywhere along the way, it calls into question a whole bunch of things about the mission. Yes. So uh, Mike Griffin, who used to be the head of NASA, always says that PowerPoint rockets never have problems. There was a <laughs> there was a there was a rocket that NASA was building, the Ares One, that that project got killed. But when President Obama uh, took office, they killed the Ares One and they killed President Bush's Back to the Moon uh, program, which is called Constellation. They kept parts of Constellation. But I remember that that rocket had a, a strange shimmy with it, and and uh, Mike Griffin said, "Yeah, because you know we're trying to it, things don't always work perfectly, and we will figure out a way to fix the shimmy. And it's only PowerPoint rockets that don't, that don't ever have problems. And in what you see with this Mars architecture that SpaceX has rolled out, huge rockets, a hundred people, and Elon said maybe two hundred people per mission." I, you know, I don't know. It looks pretty uh, outlandishly scaled up to me, and uh, I'm not an engineer. I'm just a newspaper reporter. But you do have to wonder what happens when you have an accident or something goes kablooey during that whole, um, you know, run up to a Mars mission. Are you just going to say, hey, you know, it's risky, and you know, life goes on, or do you do what NASA does is it shuts everything down for a couple of years until it can figure out what went wrong and then it and then it goes uh, returns to launch which is done after the shuttle disasters and after the Apollo 1 fire uh you know the, the NASA had to say we've got to we've got to buy down this risk so um uh, yeah, I, I think the public will, would be uh, aghast if there was a big disaster like that. I certainly hope that wouldn't happen. But SpaceX has had two accidents in the last year and a half. That company knows how hard it is to do stuff in space. Things do go um, awry and disasters happen, and that has to be factored into any kind of Mars architecture. Let me say one more thing about that. You also have to have equipment, life support equipment on your spacecraft that will not break you you can only bring so many spares. You ha- so you have to have technology that, that won't break because once you burn, you know, light the, the rocket and do the burn and, and and start flying to Mars, you can't turn around. It's not Mars doesn't just sit there and you can't do a, a you know a 180 and come back home, which you can do actually if you go to the moon because the moon orbits the the Earth and you could do what Apollo um, 13 did as they went around the moon and came back home. But you can't do that with Mars. Once, you, once you're on the way, there's no turning back for about two and a half years. Uh, you're gone. So you, your, your equipment all has to work. And that is a real challenge. One wonders, and maybe it's just the political climate of the moment, that if, if something close to this is pulled off by SpaceX and Musk, the larger implications of it for private enterprise taking over an undertaking of this size... Well, I I think that the, when Elon has talked about it, he has said that there, this will have to be a partnership with the government. I don't think at the scale of going to Mars that you can do that entirely as a private venture. It, 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 there's just so many complex technologies involved. Now, just to give you an example, how do you communicate with a 
um, a spaceship that's out there 100 million miles away. You have to use those big um, the satellite dishes, the deep space network, um, the radio telescopes that NASA has called the Deep Space Network. No one else has those things. I mean, I, you know, SpaceX doesn't have that stuff. So it's always going to be some kind of public-private partnership. But yes, you're, 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 you're touching on an important thing, is that over time, what you would expect to see is that space in general will be more of a private and commercial uh, enterprise and less of a government-driven one. And that's already happened with, with satellite communications. It's already happened with... with um, I mean, that's the, that's the part of the space program that has exceeded everyone's expectations is the extent to which it's essential for communications and, you know, uh, weather and, uh, the, and, of course, the military apparatus. I mean, the U.S. government spends an enormous amount of money sending up telescopes that look down, <laughs> okay? I mean, um, I billions of dollars for, um, it's not astronomy, it's surveillance. Yeah, that's, what they, that's, what, that's what we do. And, uh, but over time, you'll, that'll become more and more a commercialized realm. Space in general will be a commercialized realm. Joel Achenbach, his story, Elon Musk Wants to Go to Mars, is the cover story in the current issue of National Geographic. Joel, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Oh, I enjoyed it. I really did, and uh, thanks for having me on. Thank you.